and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and welcome to another episode of Best Girl Grip in lockdown. This week, I spoke to director of photography, Rena Yang, and she's someone I've wanted on the podcast for a while, but she's incredibly prolific and hardworking and was always off doing shoots. So lockdown sort of became the perfect opportunity to get to speak to her. Rina is based in London but grew up in Japan and some of her recent credits include shooting three episodes of Top Boy for Netflix, a fantastic feature-length TV drama about the Windrush scandal called Sitting in Limbo for BBC One, as well as working alongside director and cinematographer Nadia Halgreen for Netflix's Michelle Obama documentary Becoming. She's also worked on music videos for Rihanna, Kendrick Lamar, FK Twigs, Vince Staples and Dua Lipa. We speak about the difference between a DOP and a cinematographer, the balance between the technical and creative aspects of the role and how she transitioned to working on short films and music videos to filming and lighting Michelle Obama, as well as what it's like working on a Netflix project. You can watch Sitting in Limbo on BBC iPlayer and I urge that you do. In the meantime, please do enjoy this interview. This is episode 56 of Best Girl Grip. So my background is, so I'm, I, I'm originally from Japan. I moved here about 14 years ago. I moved to London about 14 years ago. So that was, I guess it was 2007. I was just going to stay in London for about like six months or a year studying English because um, I didn't speak English back then. But my uh best friend like family friend lived here at that time so I thought oh you know I have someone I know and also my cousin actually lives here she now lives in Scotland so yeah I kind of yeah just studied English for six months and then decided to extend it and I was here studying English for a year then I decided I wanted to stay so I applied for a film school uh, met film then I did a BA intensive uh, for two years, so I could get a degree in two years instead of four, which sounded like a you know a good plan to me rather than kind of spreading over four years of studying and you know being a student. <laughs> Whilst I was studying and at film school, I started working as like runner on short films and smaller shoots just to gain experience. Um, I was kind of curious about the real life, you know, kind of well I say real life and the smaller shoots, but just not working with you student friends you know because we we did make few things together um because as part of part of the curriculum um, but you know working with your film school friends and working on people you don't know is quite different so mm. i did that for about a couple of years and i was runner then i was camera trainee and then i was mainly working as a loader after film school but then so i guess that was like my you know getting paid as a loader but then I would help my friends do other shoots as like Spark or Gaffer. Just also kind of learn how to do, I don't know, lighting? Or I was just curious how things work lighting-wise, you know, seeing what things are. <laughs> so Did I you did study that. cinematography at the Met Film School? Was that a specialism or it was just production no. as a whole? No, we actually only had about two weeks of cinematography out of two years. Okay. Yeah, because I think they were still kind of trying things out. We were 
Baffle too, which is literally they, they started this film school, film school and we were the second year students, so we were kind of, they were still figuring things out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also guinea pigs, but it was kind of good um, in a way because they were asking what we wanted to study, and someone said like, "Oh, can we do like cinematography?" Yeah, we did that for a couple of weeks, and you know, I, I enjoyed that bit the most out of two years, I think, and, and uh, I kind of decided to self teach myself how to use 16mm camera because um, they brought in film camera for a couple of days I think and I was mm. really curious how it works. <laughs> the school had red one and other digital cameras um, which was fine but I kind of liked working with film cameras so I think I did like my personal projects on 16. That's kind of how I started I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Was there like a clear career like path progression that you could see like you know the, the idea of like training and then as you say like being a gaffer or a camera loader was that a clapper loader sorry did that seem quite straightforward or you had to like figure out how to even make that work? I think back then well when I say back then well it's almost like 10 years ago now people you know or my bosses they would tell us you have to climb up the ladder it would take like five to ten years. You know, you start as a trainee and you, do, you become a loader, you are a loader for five to ten years and you can be a career loader or you step up to become a focus player and then, you know, do another five to ten years and then maybe you become a big DOP and that's such a long time. And so, I mean, there was no clear path. Um, I think, like all of us in the beginning, we just feel quite lost. You know, you don't know what path you should be taking you just kind of trying things out until it clicks and tried you know a few things out and you know i guess somehow cinematography was the thing that i decided to put for my heart and like you know mm. and energy into um so i didn't feel like there was a clear path well you know two people will tell you that this is how you become a dop you know you just climb up the ladder mm. but i think things were changing and then because of i think a lot to do with digital camera coming out and you know things becoming more accessible to uh, new filmmakers you know so it's not like you have to like have a 35 mm camera 16 or you know you have this thing called red one or it's it's such a pain you have to work with the camera but i think it, it helps and then what was it the good old 5d and 7d that you know, people are using back then um so I think it's new wave of filmmakers are coming out where not ignoring, but we were just making things right and um, without not necessarily following the path and the traditional you know, path of becoming, say, a DOP or head of department, you know, for good or bad. <laughs> yeah. But are those like performing those other roles quite crucial to sort of developing a confidence on set and kind of just, you know, knowing how a set works and, you know, what the equipment is? We yeah. sort of recommend that to people is that was that your yeah. sort of experience personally i recommend having some onset experience before delving into or calling yourself your uh, dop or your uh, say director um because i mean onset etiquette you can only learn from experience and onset experience i think is very important just to just to learn the basics you know because i only spent maybe two or three years assisting so it's not like I had huge experience in assisting, but I, I've gained enough knowledge to feel like I could communicate with my assistants what the needs are. 
I think I remember assisting for say some um, you know very new DOPs who've never assisted before, and I think they struggled to communicate what you know what they should be asking or you know it's, it's hard for assistants to assist somebody who's who has no experience <laughs> being the HOD or like oh who has no experience working on set um, because you know they don't know how things work or you know so I think you know you need to know the basics right you know how Kind of how the camera works and what lenses do and kind of the relationships and dynamics between mm. crew members on set yeah I'm, you know i'm not saying you have to go through the because you know, literally there is no right or wrong but I, I personally would recommend getting someone's experience and when i started DPing early on i always kind of wished that you know oh maybe i should have spent a bit longer assisting and they assisted on like you know more like studio films and big movies or because I wanted to see how that kind of thing works mm. but then I, at, at the same time you know I didn't want to get stuck in assisting because once it you know it becomes comfortable for you you can make a living and you know you get into the school of people where they'll do the films back to back and that will become comfortable <laughs> so yeah I didn't get there um but I'm I I'm glad that I've uh, started DPing early on because your brain and mindset, it's completely different when you're assisting and when you're DPing. You know. And how did you create that first opportunity for yourself to DP? You know, how did you like mm. take that leap to, to doing that role? I didn't feel like I, I was taking the leap. I was just kind of, I don't know, getting in touch with people for making the things I thought were good. Basically trying to find the collaborators that, we have similar visual aesthetics or like ethos or the things subject matter that i can relate to so i was doing a lot of research um, when i was a baby dop mm. <laughs> you know i was watching a lot of music videos and short films and i had a list of directors i, I would contact so i would make a list mm. every day or weekly and get in touch with them and sometimes they would get back to me and we have a chat or we go for coffee, then see, you know, something comes along and maybe we work on something together. So I think in the beginning it was just kind of searching for the, the people that you can develop a long-term relationship with um, creatively. So that was hard because you have to really put yourself you out don't there. have a, yeah, you really have to hustle, you know, but not hustle in a <laughs> annoying way. Mm. <laughs> and you, it's also difficult when you're starting out like you don't have like a impressive reel to send out you know you're also trying to shoot something good but in i guess the experience level will be similar right the new director um, you know because you know there's no money jobs and you know there's only so much you can do with that and it's, it, it feels like catch 22 when you're trying to step up but you know you can't get the bigger jobs but I wasn't too bothered because, you know, I was just cutting my teeth and uh, shooting short films and music videos and I liked the process of creating and something that was more fun than camera assisting. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, so I spent a couple of years doing no money jobs and indie music videos. But then when you're making something good and, you know, because the music video industry is hard, even even the big artists you know don't get full commercial budget so they're constantly looking for new talents directors 
So, you know, the, the directors I was working with shooting little music videos, they would start to win the bigger projects. And then, yeah, I started shooting big videos and, and then they progress. You know, obviously we have to make a living. So <laughs> then we start shooting something like branded content and then we start shooting bigger commercials. And, you know, I think it, it seems like a natural progression because just doing music video is not sustainable, even if you're doing the top, top biggest music videos in the world. Um, still doesn't make, you know, you can't, you cannot sustain unless you have you know, financial support, like elsewhere. And I'm also wondering, at what point, you know, did you have a showreel or did you, like, start to put work online so that people could discover mm. you or that you could give something, you know, uh, people, yeah. like, proof of your, yeah, purchase? Yeah. I mean, I think in the... After I finished film school and I was kind of shooting things, I've kind of cut a reel because someone told me they should have a reel and I put together... Because I shot two graduation films. One was on 16, the other one was on uh, Red one so i've kind of smashed things together and then like i re actually remember like taking out my 5d and just like cycled around and shot some things because <laughs> because i cut my reel together and i was like oh, i feel like i need just need to add more shots or something mm. <laughs> looking back it's like such boring you know reel but <laughs> I, went, I just went around shooting something shot something and then like cut like a three minute reel and I would send that out to people I wanted to work with. But actually, the grad films I shot uh, were selected for, what was it? Oh, yeah, British uh, Cinematographer Society, like a short film thing. BSC New Cinematographers Night or something. Okay, um, like a showcase. So, yeah, so that was nice. And uh, yeah, they showed it in cinema with uh, BSC DPs and other industry people. And then, yeah, they that was kind of encouraging. That helped because, you know, obviously you, I had no idea what I was doing then. Literally yeah. no idea. At what stage did you realise that you're like, you're good at something? Did you have that? Like, did it, you know, has, has it still clicked into place that you're like, yeah, actually I'm decent at this? Or is it still, you know, you still feel a bit like you've got imposter syndrome where you're figuring it all out? Maybe it took me like five years just to feel like maybe I can call myself a DOP. Literally in the beginning, I had no idea what's what, you know, like what is, what is exposure? What is T-stop? And in the beginning, it's just so overwhelming, all these technical things that you need to learn. Mm. But I, at the same time, it was really exciting to learn what they meant. The once I understood what they meant and I could kind of bend it out or, you know, just break the rules and, adapt it to the way I want it to work it was quite exciting but I think once you get the hang of it you know there's kind of a formula <laughs> so it's not that complicated. Did you yeah. have any like mentors or anyone that you, you felt like you could go to for advice or you know was there mm. you know your peers that you went to film school with that you felt like you were all grappling and struggling together? Yeah don't know if I called them mentors, but I, I assisted for a few DOPs regularly. Dan Landing, uh, BSC, he kind of helped me. He helped me in the beginning when I was a trainee. He would take me on to bigger shoots that I'd never been on. And I was, you know, amazed at the, <laughs> the kit and big lights that was, <laughs> you know, that he was using. I was like, wow. And he somehow kind of, asked me to you know, come around and help out on two shoots and uh, I guess because I didn't assist for a very long time 
it's not like we had like say long-term relationship like five to ten years working together or something where you know you'd call them mentors yeah definitely a lot of people who helped me out like you know kind of on like depending on occasion rather than like a constant support i wasn't looking for that anyway because i didn't feel okay to to kind of keep bothering someone Mm. (laughs) but i i used to send you know kind of random tech question emails to DOPs, you know, like, I'm shooting this next week, and, you know, what do you think of this, or what does this mean? And some people kindly replied to those very basic question emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. I never thought of that, because, like, I think you can be on a mentorship scheme, and it can be, you know, this official relationship, but you can also yeah. have someone that you just look up to, and it's, you know, they're an unofficial mentor. But, yeah, you're right, and you don't want to kind of keep pestering yeah if you don't have that like formal almost like contract that, that you know that that's yeah. allowed it's it's sort of a tricky tricky thing to navigate yeah and let's talk about yeah you, you were doing music videos and, and commercials and um how did you make the leap into you know features what was your kind of first yeah i was shooting loads of music videos and commercials for a few years and during that time i did read a lot of feature film scripts but you know, starting out as a DOP, you are reading the the budget between, say, like it's like literally micro budget. To if you're lucky, it's like a million dollar budget movie scripts. And I think at that level, the quality of scripts and you know whether if it's feasible to make it decent, it's so you know the chances are so slim. And I wasn't really. I didn't fall in love with any of the scripts. So I, I just kind of, I read them, but I didn't feel like it was a good move because I was still training myself as a DOP in early days. So rather than shooting, say, low budget movie for like a, you know, working on that for three to four months, I would instead shoot, I don't know, like 10 projects per month or so, you know, over, over three to four months, I could be gaining a lot more onset experience like a different budget different kind of you know style and kind of projects and so i would yes shoot loads of short form and try things out rather than kind of strapping myself with one project i guess um in the beginning so that was the beginning for maybe like five years started to feel like because i've always liked you know preferred working on narrative projects but i do commercials and music videos i mean partly it's it's fun but it's also to make a living i do those short form projects yeah and working on narrative is more creative uh, creatively reward you know rewarding at the end of the day and then i guess over the last couple of years um there were a few projects that i thought were good and i was interested in doing and my first I always thought that my first feature film is going to be some sort of indie movie, you know, like a low budget indie movie, Art House. But turns out it was the TV show called Top Boy that was originally a Channel 4 drama back in the day mm. when I was a camera assistant. I remember watching that and thinking like, oh, wow, that's cool. And then, well, Drake decided to revive the series and it's back. I think it's season three. Um, it's now a Netflix show. Um, so they hit me up, which is quite cool. Was that um, through Music Video Connections? How did that, how did that uh, work? I guess so, maybe. 
because I did, you know, I had loads of short films, uh, short, short film credits under my belt, but I'd never done long form narrative. So I think it, it was a bit hard. It was hard in the beginning to convince the producers and the execs that I, that I can do it. In the end, you know, they decided to give me a chance and I shot the season finale episode 8, 9, and 10 with Anil, the amazing director. Yeah, we had a great experience. Um, so that was my first long form, quite unexpected. Then I did, oh yeah, I recently did a BBC One film, a single drama, 90-minute film called Sitting in Limbo uh, with director Stira uh, Koradi. Uh, we originally met on a channel for like half an hour drama. Uh, she knew about me through her, um, her mutual friends and um, producers, I think. And yeah, she kind of asked if he wanted to, if I wanted to get a coffee with her. And then, yeah, we met one day, we just had a chat, had a coffee, and then we decided to work on this channel for thing together. It did well. And then Stella won this project, Sitting in Limbo. And it was the subject matter was something that we both felt quite passionate about. Uh, I was just shooting, I was shooting commercials for about eight months after Top Boy. So kind of starting to feel like I want to be in one place and I, mm. I'm ready to shoot another long form now. And it is quite nice just working on one project and really developing the, the style and, you know, visual with your director and production designer and collaborate, really collaborating with other HODs in depth because <laughs> Short form commercials and music videos so fast and furious. If you have a week or two prepping, you're lucky. So I've missed doing long form drama then. So yeah, that came along and we shot that. And then it's just come out. Yeah, it's done. Uh, yeah, I think good things. <laughs> to the Absolutely. Course. Yeah. Um, let's talk, let's, let's go back to Top Boy because you kind of, it appears to me that there's like two different ways to get a job and one is to sort of like, it's relationship led mm. and as you say, you had, you had coffee with Stella first for sitting in the yeah. and, and then yeah. she brought you into the project. But with something yeah. like Top Boy, where yeah. you're being approached specifically about the project, how mm. are you, how are you pitching yourself? How are you pitching your vision? You know, are you coming mm. with, with mood boards yeah. or like visual materials? Mm. What does that, yeah. um, conversation look yeah. like? I am very bad at pitching myself. I'm just awful at inter like with interviews. No, uh, it's more like when I'm trying to sell myself, like in the interviews, because yeah. I'm not very eloquent in one. Maybe because English is my second language, it's hard for me to explain what I have in like visually in my mind, and you know by just like talking, <laughs> I guess. And so I still struggle if. Because most of the the level I'm at, I'm not Roger Deakins, where you will never have to interview for a project. Yeah. <laughs> I have to interview for narrative projects, you know. And if the script is good, if the project is got any enticing elements, there will be you know queue of like DOPs wanting to get that project. So you know I'll be joining the queue, and I have to interview for that. And I enjoy the process of researching stills and images and watching, you know, films that maybe I wouldn't have watched otherwise. And yeah. I enjoy the researching process, but putting together mood because, because that's like developing the style should be collaborative. 
you know. So I feel like that's something I should be doing with the director rather than me saying, hey, this is how I see it. Like, this is my mood board. <laughs> but, but of course, if they don't know me, they want to know if we're on the same page at all. So I get that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm quite reluctant to put in together mood board. <laughs> I guess if it feels like it's a good idea to take it further, then I would put together a mood board or send some references. Sometimes it's a bit more unofficial and I might send like folder of stills or reference links. But I have to say the narrative projects I want so far, I think the ones I interviewed and decided to put the mood board together for, I, I did not get those jobs. And I find interviews so hard because, I mean, DOPing, it's not, I'm not there to, talk shit <laughs> i mean I, i'm there to support my director and kind of achieve something that we have in mind oh just so we i i, I think it's quite collaborative you know so i find it so difficult to just talk about my i don't know what i have in mind i don't know i always think that i'm, I'm quite uninteresting <laughs> I'm, I'm more the Exactly. I can facilitate and make things happen rather than say coming up uh, with the ideas from the ground up. And if there's a base and, you know, so here's my idea, you know, what do you think? What would you do? You know, I feel stimulated by other people's ideas and like, you know, desire to make something. And let's dig into the sort of the balance between perhaps the artistic and the, the technical side of the roles, because I think oftentimes people think that a cinematographer's job is to kind of solely make things look pretty yeah. aesthetically pleasing, but actually, you know, yeah. you're, you're a head of department and you're managing mm. the team and of, of yeah. like how much does, does budget come into it and, you know, yeah. how much of that are you thinking about on set as well? I think you, you slowly start to realize that DOPing, like making things look good, is people think that's your main job and it is your main job, but that's literally like 20% of what you do, you know, being on set, like kind of asking crew to do things for you, that may seem fun, but, you know, it's mostly in prep you spend <laughs> such a long time prepping uh, on a long form project. First of all, you know, you'll get asked to do something and if it's a short form project, you read the treatment and you start communicating with the line producer, production manager, producer, about your crew and you know you have a sense of kind of level of budget they're working with and you know you send the kit list and you communicate with the director so it's it's a lot of management and knowing what's possible and how to use the budget you know some, sometimes i would compromise on one thing and say like hey rather than shooting a film why don't we spend more money on lighting because you know, if you can't light this well, um, there's no point shooting on film and that kind of thing. So you need to know what kind of compromise you should be making. So you have to have a good sense of what the priorities are in order to make the best out of the resources they have. And how mm. are you figuring that out? Like, is that knowledge coming from going to rental mm. houses and seeing what like the new kit is? Or is that just, you know, something that you've accrued through experience? I think it, uh, I guess it's come from shooting loads of projects um you know starting from no budget project to slowly kind of progressing and i would try out new kit or and ask my gaffer or focus puller if there's any kit like i would kind of communicate my ideas or the the things i want to do and 
and asking like is there anything like this does that exist and you know that kind of thing um to be honest most of the lighting kit and the camera kit once you know what you know what's out there it's pretty much the same so you know the kit and but then i would still you know research something not something new necessarily some sometimes i just ask the gaffer to buy some really random lights from amazon prime so it's like can you get three of these like toy lights <laughs> they'll be like are you sure I was like yeah, i'm pretty sure <laughs> and i'm wondering how you mm. define success in your job you know what what to you makes mm. you feel like you've done a good job is it that the director's happy or you know, mm. when, when the audience loves something yeah you know, yeah I think there are a few different phases of feeling like you've succeeded. I think when you start a project, the first success is whether you've got the crew you want to work with. Second success, have you been able to acquire the kit you think you need for this job with when the producer is constantly asking to cut the list down? And then the third is the shoot, you know. I guess the, before that, you know, you have a prep and you make sure you're on the same page with the production designer. And are we collaborating in a way that that's going to make the thing look good? And um, that's another success. But then the shoot is, yes, you know, it's, it is like, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's so many elements that could go wrong. Or that could, you know, so that's, a huge part of success, I guess, when you finish the shoot, nothing went wrong, or in terms of like no one got hurt, <laughs> it looks good and people are happy. Um, that is kind of another, you know, success. Then post production, you know, they'll go away and edit, you know, if it's short form, I guess, for a few, few weeks, then you'd grade it and come out. The, the project might come out, might not. Um, when it, if it comes out and, if it's success, that's great. But at that point, you've sort of kind of moved on as a DOP. I mean, directors, of course, they have to live with the project for like a lot longer than we do. When it comes out, it, it's interesting because it feels kind of quite foreign to me. And like, oh, yeah, I've done that. I forgot about that. And, you know, it just feels like, oh, yeah, I did that like ages ago and now it's come out. And, and when people watch it and, you know, they have positive reaction. It's like, it's, it's nice, but at the same time, you're like, oh, that's weird that, you know, people like it. And it's hard to kind of, uh, take that in. Uh, not hard. It, it's nice to, you know, see people like something, but I think I feel more, I don't know, like since I, the same sense of success, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I'm more ecstatic when I finish the show, I guess. Like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we've, we've done it. Like, you know, we've kind of, We've achieved something. Um, I suppose that's because it's the more physical experience, isn't it? The shoot itself is, you know, where you are and that sense yeah. of finality from kind of the wrap yeah. and getting it. Whereas, yeah, the the, the emotional um, response that audiences, members have, you're, you're kind of detached from that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel quite detached from yeah, the people's responses when they see the finished product. Because, you know, when you finish shooting, you just... You know, adrenaline stops and you know, he is so physically and emotionally exhausted. You know, mm. like, God, it's done. Like, you know, we've done it. We've completed the schedule. What's amazing. <laughs> that kind of success. And then the project uh, might be successful, say, on a commercial level mm. or like audience level and stuff. And of course, that's great because if people don't see it, then I wouldn't say what's the point, but I would like to, like, the, you know, the people to see what I make 
And something that I do all the time is interchange DP and cinematographer. And I've never actually interrogated what the difference is. Oh, and yeah. is there one? And do you have a preference over what you're referred to? There was a lot of discussions, I guess, when I started like kind of calling myself like, hey, I'm a DOP. And there was a lot of discussion like when you're creating your web- own website, should you call yourself cinematographer or DOP, DP, director of photography? Yeah, I think people would say like cinematographer is a bit more like you're an artist or something. And then director of photography sounds more like a head of a department. I don't mind either, you know, but I sort of agree that when you say director of photography, it feels like you are like a manager of, <laughs> you're managing other people, I guess, and mm-hmm. could call myself cinematographer if I was on, say, like art, art, like art film project, maybe. But I think that's interchangeable and I don't mind if people call me DP or cinematographer. <laughs> yeah. And let's talk about Becoming, because I watched that recently and, you know, that's, mm. such a, that's such a brilliant project and that must have been a great experience. And I'm wondering how you mm. came on board that and, and you know, yeah. were you, were you travelling, you know, yeah. were you on tour with her basically? And, and what was your approach to sort of capturing yeah. such intimate, intimate moments? So director Nadia, um, we have a mutual friend, uh, Jamie, who I worked with on a music video. So he recommended me to her. Actually, Nadia had already shot like majority of the films she'd been shooting. Documentary f- filmmaker, director, and she also shoots, you know, cinematography uh, on her documentary projects. Mm-hmm. So she was already shooting for six months, I think. But then they approached me when it became a Netflix uh, project, I think, because Michelle was touring you know on the book tour and they had like arena sequence and then the finale of the tour and they wanted to capture that with a bit more like filmic way or you know so they decided to seek for a a DOP to come on board yeah I had I jumped on a call with Nadia and I I instantly really liked her um (laughs) yeah she's she's a great person and you know when you meet someone and you just kind of bring the best out of you. You just feel so energized, like just working together or just talking about your ideas. Or so, yeah, we had a great chat, and yeah, I decided to come on board, and we went to Atlanta, Nashville, and oh, one more city, Florida. Yeah, I did some kind of. I've adjusted the tour lighting, and then um, designed lighting for Raymond. Um, audit- auditorium that was the finale of the tour selecting cameras and angles and it's, it's such a different <laughs> you know thing to what well, I normally do because you're basically filming live multicam and trying to make it look good for like five six cameras and also you know work around her security backstage and <laughs> when you're trying to film her backstage and <laughs> Uh, but I mean, you know, I think it was such a memorable project to work on. Um, it's because, you know, I mean, Nadia was saying that, you know, it is like a historical film that people would watch maybe for a long time. So it, it felt quite special working on a project like that and working with someone like Michelle Obama. It's just occurred to me actually there that you, you've done two um, Netflix projects. 
I, yeah. I'm wondering if have you noticed is there a difference between a Netflix production and you know working mm. say something for like the BBC or any other kind of yeah. production company or are they are they quite like hands off and it's just like any other kind of shoot? It might be changing now because you know Netflix are quite new thing, but in general, from my experience, I I do feel like Netflix more open to new creatives um rather than say bbc where you need a bit more traditional credits and the assurance that you are legit <laughs> or um, although they gave you know they gave me a chance on sitting in limbo which is great because i had no tv credits netflix yeah feels quite hands-off and like free they'll just kind of let you do your thing like you know you go and make some cool things <laughs> you know so that's great and do you consider yourself as having a personal kind of brand or style? You know, is there something that you think mm. makes the way that you work unique? Or is it more about shape-shifting to, you know, suit and, and deliver the project? I don't think I have a personal brand or style. But I guess I have preferences when it comes to the subject matter or the creative that I'm more drawn to. Um, maybe that's my brand. I guess my lighting approach and colors and lenses and lensing, depending on the project. So I think so. That the style question comes up quite a lot for mm. DPs. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it comes out of that sort of not misconception, but just just that sense, like we were talking about before, the sort of the weight of the job between what mm. you know the technical aspects and the, the, the artistic aspects i think as audience yeah. members we we perhaps think that there's much more mm. artistry involved than maybe yeah. there sometimes is and so we assume that mm. yeah, there's there's yeah that that style or yeah individuality perhaps and it's actually much yeah. more of a collaborative kind of i'd also love to know if you have any personal influences or, or cinematographers mm. or artists that you look to um mm. you know, just in general to inspire you it's really on and off because I don't have like idol, uh, I guess. It's just random things that I see sometimes or normally if you're not on the lockdown, I would go to exhibitions or, you know, <laughs> art exhibitions. Mm. I like that. And I also like kind of going to like really kind of visual in theater plays. I guess some theaters are like amazing. I, I really like the, some, the lighting designers and so you know it's pretty impressive and I feel like they in use interesting lighting fixtures um, and you know lighting cues and that's interesting for me to see I read you know I read books <laughs> I normally have one that's kind of like for fun like narrative the other to educate myself nothing to do with cinematography but, but maybe it's about like you know philosophy or like history because coming from japan i don't really know like western you know histories and you know how why people think in certain way <laughs> so i yeah that's just kind of i feel like that's my disadvantage that i don't really have this kind of western culture knowledge or <laughs> so i'm trying to still trying to catch up i guess after 14 years you know so i read books yeah. is there something that perhaps you wish you'd learned earlier in your career or, you know, something that you consider to be like the, the biggest learning curve? I've mentioned briefly, but I wished I worked on bigger projects and, you know, assisted longer. I guess when I started DPing, because I didn't have any experience on, like, experience on huge sets. Uh, but now I don't really mind that I 
haven't had the experience. Um, but when you're unsure whether your career will take off or not. Uh, but now my learning curve, I don't really dwell on like negative experiences. Like, you know, you feel awful and sad for a little bit and I move on. So <laughs> I can't really think of anything. Yeah. And are the bigger studio projects something that you still maybe want to, want to do? Like what's, where do you see yourself kind of progressing as a cinematographer? Like what are the kinds of stories that you want to tell? I get asked that a lot. So when I interview for movies, like what kind of stories or projects do you want to work on? But again, I guess I'm kind of passive. And when the script lands and you read it and, you know, you fall in love with the story sometimes. And it tends to be uh, the stories I'm drawn to tends to be some something to do with like a universal subject. And it's about people, you know, I, I need to feel emotionally engaged. I guess like I like things like Call Me By Your Name and uh, Moonlight and like, Ghost Story, that kind of, I think I, I have a bit more like indie vibe. <laughs> when I can feel the director's vision um, um, in a strong kind of narrative, I like that. Um, I think it's difficult on bigger projects, you know, when like, things get a little bit muddled. And and finally, what is a film that you've seen recently by a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem that perhaps more people should should have watched? Oh, um, there was a film called A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I love that movie. I just wa- I watched it not by accident, but I was in LA and then my friend from New York. Uh, she's a choreographer director. Amy, she was also in LA and she had a ticket to this movie. We were going to meet up for coffee anyway. And she was like, oh, do you want to go see this movie called a, Ra- a Portrait of a Lady on Fire? And I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. And I, I watched the trailer. And I was like, oh, it looks great. Let's go see it. And, and then I watched it. And then, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Oh, I'd like to make a movie like that. Um, Rina, thank you so, so much for your time today. This has been really interesting. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you're interested in cinematography, I recommend listening to my episode with Rachel Clark, if you haven't already. And if you're interested in the film industry in general, well then go wild. The archive is there for you to devour on iTunes, Spotify and Acast. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.